0: So our next speaker, again with a, a different perspective, I'd like, to, I'd like you to welcome Carol Island. Carol is the CEO and Managing Director of Epilepsy Action Australia. Carol has an extensive background spanning 35 years in the not-for-profit human services sector, holding a variety of executive positions. She's been at the forefront of the medicinal cannabis movement. In her role at Epilepsy Action Australia, she has had significant contact with many individuals and families faced with managing very challenging forms of medication-resistant epilepsy, with few or no options left in the conventional treatment bucket. And I know many of you are from a paediatric background, so you're probably well aware of this. Carol has heard and seen the changes in people's lives, including the reduction in the severity and frequency of seizures resulting from the use of medicinal cannabis. Carol serves on the Australian Advisory Council for the Use of Medicinal Cannabis, the Advisory Board of the Lambert Initiative for Cannabinoid Therapeutics, the Steering Committee for the New South Wales Government's Paediatric Epilepsy Trials with Medicinal Cannabis Research and is a founding director of the Medicinal Cannabis Council. She's a strong advocate, she's a strong and active advocate for people living with epilepsy, and she indeed employs nurses, and we're lucky to have Lisa Todd, one of the nurses, registered nurses that works with her, who's been very generous, they've shared their information and expertise with me, so I'd like you to welcome Carol, please.
1: Thanks very much, Rita. Um, That was an interesting list of things that I'm involved in. I would feel more proud of those things had we moved further along. So I'll just start with with that. So, look, it's it's been quite a few years ago now um, for us that we first heard that marijuana, um, which was the term used, could potentially treat epilepsy. Um, Where We come from a fairly conservative non-profit organisation and, um, you know, I have children that are now in their 30s, so I grew up, you know, knowing all about Marijuana, And I have, as Rita mentioned, uh, you know, a group of nurses who work for me, quite conservative nurses. Imagine how we reacted five or six years ago. We were horrified. Um, we tried to warn our patients to be our clients, to be cautious. No medical evidence to support this. Um, and we certainly couldn't support its use. Well, a lot's happened in those past years, you know, the advances, the advocacy, the research, changes to legislation, but, and I'm sure you're getting this message from some of the other um, presenters, for some families, and particularly for those that have intractable epilepsy, or other, you know, terminal or life-limiting conditions, things have gone very, very slowly. So I understand Lucy's uh, anger only too well. Um, and for some, I think they think it's hopeless. They've seen no progress at all in terms of the patients that are that are really suffering. So I don't use the term marijuana usually anymore, um, medical or otherwise, when I talk about treatment options, but I'm absolutely convinced that cannabinoid therapeutics offer an incredibly promising treatment option for people with epilepsy and those suffering from many other conditions. And please don't get me wrong, um, I'm not discredi- discrediting the argument to legalise the broader use of marijuana or cannabis. In fact, I personally support that notion, but it's not what I do in my role of you know, Epilepsy Action Australia's CEO. I'm focused here on, on my patient group and therapeutic treatment. So I'll just move this along. Um, I, I'm curious to know how many of you have contact with epilepsy patients? Could you just oh quite quite a lot of you okay um thank you for that and, and not that this story is is unique to epilepsy i mean epilepsy as a condition is is one that i think we can example what's been happening um but it's it's a universal problem so to set the context though for my talk i would just use some words about epilepsy from the world health organization it is doubtful that there's any other medical condition so universally neglected due to a combination of social stigma low profile and lack of resources. It is the world's most common serious brain disorder. Today around 250,000 Australians are diagnosed with epilepsy, about a quarter of a million, Um, and it's estimated as many as as 800,000 people in Australia, or I often say 800,000 of us, will be diagnosed in our lifetime. And I say of us because epilepsy doesn't discriminate, you know, doesn't discriminate by age or gender or any anything else. Now, the severity and frequency of seizure activity varies widely in people living with epilepsy. And somewhere between 60, 65% of people have their seizures well controlled on the first or second anti-epileptic medication they try. That means that the remaining 30 or so percent though continue ex- to experience seizures and that's despite trying numerous combinations of currently available anti-epileptic medications. They're considered to have intractable or medication-resistant epilepsy. And of this group, some are actually diagnosed with catastrophic types of epilepsy, where they suffer recurrent, severe, damaging seizures, even daily, even dozens daily or hundreds daily. And that's a devastating fact of life for many families in Australia and for some with children with these devastating forms of epilepsy death may be the outcome before the child actually you know reaches their teens so they're the they're the people that we're talking about here Um, If you haven't heard of Epilepsy Action Australia, just very, very briefly, we've been serving the Australian community for some 66 years, um, uh, and and certainly we began in Sydney, but we now work Australia-wide, including Newcastle. We've had a a lot to do with Newcastle, and let me um, state that I'm a Novocastrian, so I make sure that we've had a lot to do with um, Newcastle. excuse me, we provide education, advocacy and support to children and adults that are affected by epilepsy and we also provide professional education and consultancy services to the broader community and we have a vision that all Australians affected by seizures will have the opportunity to lead optimal lives. So with the growing awareness of the medicinal use of cannabis in the community, there's been a focus on paediatric epilepsy raising curiosity and awareness of epilepsy like no other issue I've seen in, in my time, um, 12 years or so in the epilepsy sector. It's a curious phenomenon um, that I like to point out. I mean, cannabis is quite a stigmatised um, substance and it has raised the profile of epilepsy, which is an arguably still stigmatised condition, more than anything else I, I've seen. That. Um, came about uh, some years ago because of this little girl. As I mentioned, I am the CEO of a a conservative organisation, and yet sometimes I actually sound like a medicinal cannabis advocate. And let me tell you, I have four children, as as I think I mentioned, um, in their 30s. It highly amuses my three sons who are in their their 30s, that mum's appearing on television and doing interviews and sounds like a cannabis advocate. It highly amuses them. Um, But let me explain why I sound like a cannabis advocate. I've met many parents of children with devastating forms of epilepsy and I've heard their stories. Um, I'm inspired, and I mean truly inspired, by some of the parents I've come to know. People have done whatever is necessary to care for their child or young adult. They've broken the law, they've taken risks, they've reported benefits of doing that. Now, why on earth would they do it? Why on earth? And I sometimes think that I should drop this mantra because I say it every time I speak, but I decided last night when I was thinking about this, no, I won't. Why do I believe what I believe? Well, loving parents don't lie. You know, these truly are parents who would do anything they possibly could for their children. And they've done what they could because they can't get legal access to cannabis. So, look, let me tell you briefly about the background to medicinal cannabis in epilepsy, very briefly. Many parents um, caring for the children with, with devastating forms of epilepsy, and they're often combined with other disabilities, they're desperate for anything that would give a glimmer of hope. And in 2013, Hope actually came in the form of a substance called Charlotte's Web. It was a designer strain of cannabis, low in THC, high in CBD, which you've, you've just heard about. Um, CBD being the component, you know, now believed to uh, help control drug resistant epilepsy. And the patient who inspired this was a little girl called Charlotte Figgy in the USA. Um, a little girl who has a devastating condition called Dravet syndrome. And Charlotte responded really well. She's still doing really well, by the way. Um, Now, This was followed by anecdotal reports from other parents and also from some medical staff overseas and they began to take prominence in social media and blogs and and mainstream media and the like. And of course parents in Australia um, wanted to get their hands desperately on some of this oil that seemed to help when nothing else had. And they actually tried to source any kind of cannabis oil or tincture, anything they could find with the uncomfortable knowledge that it's an illicit drug in Australia. Some actually started treading a very fine line that in normal circumstances they'd never choose to cross. But in a bid to save their their kids and quality of life they felt they had absolutely no option. Keep in mind some of these families were actually told that there was nothing in the conventional treatment bucket to help. There's nothing left. Um, You know, and the child was having hundreds and hundreds of seizures a week, further um, delaying their development or worse, causing further damage to their already compromised brains. So it's not hard, is it, to put yourself in that position and think, well, what what might I have done? And I have, as Rita mentioned, had significant contact with many of these families. and watch them make these difficult decisions in, in, you know, what to do at this point in time. I'm going to introduce you to um, a few of the families. Now you've already heard of some of them because Lucy featured some of them, but I'll just tell you a little bit more about them. Lucy mentioned Sully Peak. Nine-year-old Sully passed away October 21 last year. She had an unidentified neurological condition with intractable seizures. Her condition was considered life-limiting. Now I I say that with some emphasis and the reason that I say it is because it was considered life-limiting rather than a terminal condition, that was one of the things that prevented them from getting cannabis under the government's category A that you heard mentioned earlier. The family had literally exhausted all treatment options. Numerous paediatric medications, they even tried some adult medications and a ketogenic diet. Um, Suli regressed to the point where she needed to be tube fed. Um, She often needed to be resuscitated and often that was after receiving an emergency anti-epileptic medication that she had to be resuscitated. The family found the only relief for Suli in cannabis, illicit cannabis. They didn't want to break the law. They had absolutely nowhere else to go. Suli had a paediatrician a palliative care doctor, a neurologist and others, all refused to give Sully a script for cannabis, for any form of cannabis. The GP actually thought that she should have access but you know he didn't have the power to do it, particularly at that point and in the particular state that Sully was in. Um, hospital administrator was sympathetic but had no power to make the doctors prescribe anything. Um, There was a lot of conflict. The family was threatened with the law Um, every time Sully had to go to hospital. And it was usually for something not related to her epilepsy, you know, it was usually some other condition. But of course they were threatened and told they couldn't give her uh, the cannabis. That would start, you know, a whole range of things from her being given other medications, um, needing to be ventilated and so on and so on. Um, it, It was just awful. Um, she did have a little lesion on her brain, which it, during the course of her taking cannabis mm-hmm. disappeared, documented, but nobody wanted to know about it, um, so and nobody could explain it. We had numerous um, meetings with the premier, the chief medical officer. Um, we had some hope, it looked like we were going to get some, um, you know, some movement, but then that hope was dashed, and Sully actually passed away quite suddenly, in hospital. Um, It's actually really, really difficult to say why Sully passed away and in fact we we are thinking there will be a possible inquest into her death. Very sad the family continues to suffer. Now you also saw this little guy and you saw it in the video that um, Michelle Whitelaw, the the video sorry, that Lucy showed of Michelle Whitelaw, um, Jai's mum. Um, Jai's actually not so little anymore, so in the video, you know, he's looking like a cute little guy, but um, hes I think he's turned 14 now and he's probably my height. He's quite a big fellow. Multiple epilepsy syndromes and seizures, but he also has a thoroughly medically documented cases of his intractable epilepsy with over 50 EEGs, demonstrating the lack of efficacy of any currently available anti-epileptic medication. Um, He has a record of multiple hospital admissions for unrelenting seizure activity. His seizures were measured at 500 per day. Um, You can actually see Jai, and you saw him this morning in the video there on on my right. Um, You know, very, very sick little boy. In 2012, Jai was home from hospital for a total of five weeks in the whole year. The following year, a bit better, he got 12 weeks at home, but the rest of the time he was in hospital. His quality of life, as you could imagine, was very, very poor. And each new medication that was tried brought new seizures and new side effects. And, you know, he had multiple facial motor tics, weight loss, weight gain, unstable gait, muscle weakness, um, vagueness, frustration, challenging behaviours, excessive drooling, rashes, couldn't regulate bladder and bowel. I mean, I could go on and on and on. He had multiple broken bones, but when he did manage to stand up, he would fall and hurt himself. Um, broken teeth, Um, his ability to communicate was minimal, his diet was extremely poor, he choked um, quite often. The impact on his siblings as well as his parents was excruciating and many mornings they'd wake up to find gine non-responsive. So sadly resuscitation was a a normal skill in in that household. So after about five years and despite the um, exhaustive list of failed medications, Jai's parents took the decision to become criminals, um, as you've heard others say, rather than do nothing. You know, that the choice was do nothing um, or become criminals and try to prevent the deterioration and the potential loss of their beloved son. And he was administered a microdose of THCA. Now, you might remember from from Justin's presentation, you know, yes, THC is the demonised substance. Um, THCA is its acid form, so no, you know, no intoxicant capability at all there. Within 48 hours of administering illicit cannabis tincture, Jai's convulsive seizures stopped. So he may still have been having some subclinical seizures, but his convulsive seizures were gone within 48 hours. And the medical specialists saw this, um, he didn't have to wear his helmet anymore, he started to walk, he'd been wheelchair bound previously, sleep and appetite improved. Um, as you heard Lucy mention earlier, you know he actually had a teaching report, his IQ was able to be measured for the first time. I interacted with him during that time and he was a pain in the neck little boy, he was so <laughs> full as Michelle spoke about, he was so full of energy. Um, He had only four breakthrough seizures between December 2014 and June June 2017. Um, His anti-epileptic medications were successfully weaned and his EEGs continued to show great improvement as did other, other tests. Now, throughout the period, Jai's mum Michelle lobbied numerous politicians for legislative change, for legal regulated product. She'd never wanted to break the law. Heavens her um, husband, Jai's dad, was in the defence force. You know, really, really difficult situation. Um, Now, they left many meetings, some that I accompanied them on, with their local health service representatives or politicians, conversations with government officials, and they had the perception that they would be able to transition their child from illicit product to legal product. But It was only a matter of time. Well, this went on. Years went on. At least in the meantime, as you can see in the middle there, young Jai was healthy, happy, going to school. They continued to use unregulated tincture, um, but it did come with risks. Um, you see, the problem is these families, um, as you've just heard before, they can't have the product laboratory tested to ensure that what they're administering to their child is, in fact, what they believe it to be. And as Justin said, yes, there are some great people, you know, out there doing compassionate work, but they're not sure what's in their product and there there are no guarantees. They can't be assured it's free of toxins, contaminants, or know the cannabinoid ratios. Um, Really difficult. Last year, there was an issue with Jai's THCA tincture, thought to be contaminated. Um, His parents ceased it immediately, he became sick. A seizure landed him in the emergency department um, and then on numerous occasions over the, the couple of weeks. And of course, he was restarted on benzodiazepines and, and other drugs. Drugs that hadn't really helped before, um, drugs that he'd become dependent on. And, um, you know, Jai has been quite sick. There is a, there is a little bit of hope happening here. Um, he, he came out of what was probably the best three years plus of his life and you know, then went back on these drugs that took away a lot of his function again, made him very, very sick. His dad um, said to me he's actually not sure how much of Jai's um, great capability and health <coughs> was to do with the anti-epileptic medications um, being weaned and how much it was to do with cannabis. We suspect it's both, it's, it's actually both. So the legal, the legal stuff was hurting him, was harming him. Um, and as his mum often says, he was um, basically um, addicted, he was legally addicted to drugs for many years. Now, where we're at now, Jai actually tried what um, is being touted around the country as being the, the cure-all for epilepsy, cannabidiol, CBD, um, at a particular brand, Epidiolex, which has been used in the trials. I'm not knocking that. It will work for some, it won't work for all. Keep in mind that what had worked for Jai was THCA. He did go onto Epidiolex. Unfortunately, he was allergic to the sesame seed oil that was the carrier, made him sick again. Um, He has just got a prescription for a different CBD product And he starts that next week. So everybody has fingers crossed, but of course what we're worried about is what's worked for Jai is THCA. And they won't even consider a product that has THC or THCA in it for children with epilepsy. So Epilepsy Action and I um, will support any activity that expedites the provision of a national framework for legal access to cannabis products, for research and for medicinal use. And, you know, I I presented at the Senate inquiry um, into the Regulator of Medicinal Cannabis Bill that um, Lucy spoke about a little while ago. Perhaps it's a real shame that they didn't take up those recommendations. And I do actually serve on a number of different, um, a number of different advisory councils and clinics and the like, and I'll continue to do this. But please be under no illusions. I mean, what I am is a patient advocate. You know, so I, I don't represent government or council or hospitals or anyone else. I'm a patient advocate. And that is sometimes a very, very um, excruciating process of trying to influence when everything takes so much time. And time, unfortunately, is not something that many of these children and adults have. That's, that's the point. So um, getting access anecdotal reports of families desperately trying to source cannabinoids to treat their child's epilepsy range from periodic trips to the USA and other regions where it's legally prescribed and monitored by a physician to others accessing illicit recreational markets that you've heard about. Um, where the strength and strains are known and there are safety risks and the other alternative has been to grow from seed and extract the oil themselves thus knowing that it, at least that it's a pure and does pure substance and doesn't have contaminants and the like um, and that's the only way that some parents feel that they can take this route. It's now quite easy to learn how to make a tincture or an oil, you know, you can go on to the internet and find out how to do it um, and, and that's what some families do. Um, they do this in the hope that it will someday be legally accessible, will be um, affordable. That's that's the hope. Um, tell you about one of the people who's made the trip backwards and forwards, and again, Lucy mentioned this young man this morning. Um, Lindsay's actually uh, 20 years old now, and he was um, the first person in Australia to get approval for a botanical extract and to use a vaporizer. But having said that, he's got quite a complicated, quite a complicated condition. I mean, there is a brain tumour, the brain tumour causes epilepsy. Um, I often have people ask, does it work? You know, cannabis, does it work? Well, what on earth is it? You know, there are so many different forms, and Lucy referred to precision medicine and personal medicine, and for Lindsay, there are particular, particular strains and dosages and and products that will make a difference to him, and he can't actually access them in Australia. Um, Just a very quick little look at, I don't know whether you can see that very well, but over on the right was uh, Lindsay's tumour, showing um, the tumour and the edema around the tumour and you come, as you come, there are four slides there. Um, The second one was after the cannabinoid treatment in the USA. You can see it's shrunk and I mean that's what will happen with good, um, when Lindsay gets the right things, the tumour shrinks, the seizures stop. But I think it's now five trips, five trips to the USA. Um, the family for the last trip had to fundraise. So I think they're sort of looking at, you know, do we more, do we sell our house? What do we relocate? What do we do? Because this is a 20 year old and he's going to go on having this issue, that tumour, um, it's not malignant, but it causes issues and it does grow. He's, he's needing to control it. What's the answer for this family? We certainly don't know. Um, public opinion's been mentioned, so I won't, um, I won't go further on this to say, other than to say we know more than 90% of Australians support you know, the idea of medicinal cannabis. They probably also think it's readily available, given some of the media you know, that's been out there. Um, in Australia, you've heard a little bit about this as well. I've heard estimates of around 200,000 people that might be currently accessing illegal cannabis. I don't know. I can only tell you I know dozens and dozens. You know of people that are um so i suspect that might be right and as lucy mentioned this morning somewhere around a thousand patients um you know that are that are actually accessing it legally um, and you know around 40 authorized prescribers most of them prescribing epidialix the single cbd product that i mentioned so For thousands or for tens of thousands of others, illicit use risks prosecution and all the complications that come with illegally sourced, uncertain composition. Um, These criminals include thousands of people with severe unrelenting pain, children with intractable epilepsy, people with other conditions for whom cannabis has possibly transformed their quality of life. It's a complicated issue. I think it's already been spoken about, so I'm going to, and I know that lunch is not too far away, so I'm going to to skip through some of this, but it's still not easy. I mean, there's been some improvement, but there is still, you know, the fact that most GPs um, don't know anything about it. Most specialists won't prescribe, and there are still hoops to jump through, despite what the media might have told you. The hoops are still there. There's been some progress to what Minister Hunt calls harmonise between state, territory and Commonwealth governments. They talk about a single process, but that single process is just a portal. It's the front door. After an application goes in, part of it goes off to the state government, part of it goes off to the federal government. The same processes continue. So I'm not sure we can say it's a single process at this point in time. You've heard um, mention of the prohibitive cost so even if you happen to get a GP or a specialist who can become an authorised prescriber or a single, you know, single or class prescriber, even if you get through that, which mostly you don't, um, the kinds of costs we've been hearing for our families with children is around forty thousand dollars per year. Um, you know, it, it varies according to the child's weight, but they're the sorts of figures we've heard. So people have gone through the process, got a script. They can't afford that product. Um, You've certainly heard, you know, the human trials are still in early phases. Um, We know that, but we would say lack of research doesn't prove lack of efficacy, you know, at, at all. Um, there's a huge body of anecdotal evidence. I've actually come to hate the word anecdote, <laughs> you know, because these anecdotes that we all hear about are people to me and I I know so many of them. I, you know, I know the children, I know the families, um, but this collection of, you know, thousands and thousands of anecdotes doesn't hold for much with our governments or or with the researchers at this stage. And we know that research is a slow and expensive process. So what can we do? what can we do about this Um, and there's a range of things that we can do Um, more advocacy Um, you know I was meant to be running a small epilepsy organization you know delivering things that we had been delivering for a long time but my life has become medicinal cannabis you know and, and that includes you know sort of weekends and nights and I know that Lucy works you know constantly as does Justin and others Um, but we need to keep going. Education, education of patients and education of doctors more importantly in terms of the the patients we actually try to work with them to give them realistic expectations about the current situation. So yes while we might be excited about what you know what cannabis can do, we've also got to, you know, be the realists and try to help them navigate and we've developed a few tools to do that, um, but give them, you know, those realistic expectations. I'm just going to give you here a a tiny, tiny little peek at a new resource. Um, It's not launched yet, so I'm being a bit naughty. (laughs) Um, It will actually... uh, We'll be doing a teaser at at a Canatech conference, just showing a little bit of it in October, but it's something we're building over the next um, six to 12 months in its entirety, and um, it's to help patients with epilepsy. But the way we've – I don't know whether you can actually see that. You probably can't. The way that we've set it up, we've called it C4E, Cannabis for Epilepsy. But we've actually got the first two sections, which is the endocannabinoid system and the cannabis plant, as being generic, not to do with epilepsy, it's generic. And you know, we've taken so much wonderful information that Justin could give us a lot of, you know, a lot of information about, but we've tried to do some very simple things, and I want to talk to Justin about helping on some other things later. Um, and then cannabis and epilepsy. So hopefully this might one day become C for MS or C for C, C for cancer or whatever. That's the way we're trying to build the resource. Um, it, It will have latest news feed, you know, constantly looking every day we'll go through the news and put whatever the latest news is. There will be three sections learn which is just education and that's the bit that we're working on now and we will probably be finished that somewhere around March next year we've we've, um, been able to source some foundation funding and a little bit of industry funding but mainly a foundation Um, happens to be um, a foundation in Newcastle so wait to hear about that Um, and the access area and participate will come later with some other funding so as I said it's just a taster Um, a little bit just a tiny little show of what it might look like in terms of explaining things to people. Just some final some final observations, um, I've personally heard and seen the changes in some of these children and adults lives and it's as they've been administered various preparations of unregulated unregul- forms of cannabis. Families have reported child seizures diminishing from 10, 20, 50, 100 a day to as few as one in several months or even complete seizure freedom in some cases and they've regained function that you know was thought forever lost they've they've reached milestones that they weren't reaching before Um, yet they can't even legally disclose the use of the medicinal cannabis to members of their health care team they're criminals there's mandatory reporting and yes some families have found themselves being interrogated by by government agencies and so on as a result of disclosure Um, So families are flying blind out there, they're unable or unwilling to disclose for obvious reasons, they're denied the um, opportunity of medical monitoring and they so desperately need it. Now this has been largely a consumer driven movement. Um, Early research is promising but it seems there'll be a need to be a lot more robust discussion and these conferences are a part of that, Um, I certainly hope in some way you'll become part of that movement, thank you.